You may think that if you throw off the claims of Jesus Christ on your life, that somehow you will be free. And I'm telling you on the authority of the Bible that the opposite is true. If God does not rule you, then ultimately sin and Satan will possess you. Welcome to Who Opened the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, this may take some people by surprise because sometimes we think and act as if we can run our lives in any way we choose to. Yeah, well, the truth comes directly from the story of Saul and David that we're following, and particularly Saul's path, because he was the one who pushed off the claims of God on his life. He Mm -hmm. didn't want to do what God was telling him to do. He had his own way. But what happens is that gradually his life is more and more covered in darkness. And in the end, there are dark powers that quite clearly have gained a root in his mind and in his heart. Now, that's telling us something really important. You might think that you can push the claims of God away and that that will make you free. Actually, what will happen is that more and more darkness will bind you because it is only Christ who's able to set us free. So this story is very powerful, very practical, with regards to where freedom is actually found. Well, it is a practical message we have today. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 16, so join us there if you can in the next part of Soothe My Troubled Heart. Here's Pastor Colin. If God allows you to endure some evil, you can be very confident as a child of God that what he will bring from it in you and through you and what will be to the eternal praise of Jesus Christ as the ultimate result of it will outweigh by far the pain and the torment that you have endured on the way. Thank God for that. But Saul is not among those who love God. He's in rebellion against God. And what we're seeing here is that God allows him to live with the tragedy of what he had chosen. Matthew Henry says very wisely and very perceptively, they that drive the good spirit away from them become prey to the evil spirit. If God and his grace do not rule us, sin and Satan will have possession of us. And you know, the great judgment of God on sinners is ultimately this, that he gives them what they choose. And Saul chose rebellion against God. And so what happens is that he now finds himself in the company of those who have made the same choice. The rebel spirits that end up tormenting him. Saul's life is a massive warning. It's a huge red light to the person who rises up against God and refuses to back down. Here's what we naturally think as Satan tempts us. You may think that if you throw off the claims of Jesus Christ on your life, that somehow you will be free. And I'm telling you on the authority of the Bible that the opposite is true. If God does not rule you, then ultimately sin and Satan will possess you. And that will be the truth for you into all eternity. If God does not rule you, ultimately sin and Satan will possess you. The person who makes sin their friend 
soon finds that sin is their master. There's no freedom there. Never imagine that hell is some kind of happy band of brothers and sisters who are united together in their common antagonism towards God. Hell is a place of torment because it is a place of rebellion. It is a world in which everybody is their own king, and a world in which everybody is their own king can only ever be a world of conflict. And so it is forever and forever and forever. So here we're given this tragic reality into which Saul is moving. And the story before us is really a very simple one. Let me just walk you through it. Saul's servants, or actually we would call them today Saul's counselors. They can see his decline. And they say in verse 15, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. All credit to them. They diagnose the problem accurately. Saul is becoming moody. He's becoming irritable. He's becoming vindictive. He's a source of misery to himself increasingly. Uh, He is a source of anxiety to everyone who is around him. And the servants see this. And they suggest a therapy. And they say, verse 16, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skilled in playing the lyre, harp. And Saul agrees with this uh, prescription, and he says, verse 17, provide for me a man who can play well and then bring him to me. And one of the servants there in the royal court has evidently heard David play or knows David from Bethlehem or whatever that is, and uh, basically nominates him for the job. And Saul sends for David, and in this amazing providence of God, David, the young boy who has been anointed as the future king, is brought into the royal court without him even knocking on the door. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? This is a remarkable story. I mean, just think about it. How does a young boy whose experience of life is simply working as a shepherd, how can that young boy ever have any idea of what it is to be in government and to rule a nation? How is he going to learn that? And God, in his amazing providence, brings this boy into the royal court where he can see it from the inside. He sees how it's functioning. He sees what's going wrong. He sees what it's going to take to put the royal court right. And he's given a prime position to view and to learn all this early in life. Remember this. If God puts you in a position of dysfunction, in a position where you see something that is absolutely not working right, it may just be that he is preparing you so that you will know what needs to be different when your time comes. Everything in your life is part of the weaving of God's purpose by which you are ultimately able to glorify him. And even the dysfunction you have seen can be God's means of equipping you for ministry. This is a wonderful thing. And perhaps in the groups, we'll talk a little bit about how that has worked out in our lives. Many of us will immediately think of how God put me there and I saw how it should not be. And it gave me a heart to 
to be involved in something different. But those who were brought up in a home that was dysfunctional and God has given you a vision out of that, of what it means to be a godly father, a godly mother. Thank God for such a vision. Look for these things in your life and marvel at the grace of God that brings them about. I want in these last minutes just to make three very simple observations from this uh, story. And uh, the first that we, we dare not miss is just this extraordinary picture of David serving Saul. Amazing. Verse 21 And David came to Saul and entered his service. And at first Saul receives him well. It even says he loves him. But because Saul is all about himself, his love never lasts for long. It cannot last for long if it's about yourself. And and before long, Saul rejects him. And in this, of course, David points us to Christ. Christ coming into the world and serving sinners who may receive him well at first and then very soon despise him and reject him. David, serving Saul, points us forward to his greater son coming into the world and to enter the service of sinners and to come to bring good to all of our troubled hearts. And and what happens? He comes to Nazareth, his hometown. And he speaks about how the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, anointing him to bring good news to the poor. And the people listen to what he says, and they're very pleased with it at first. But by the end of the service, they've decided they want to throw him off a cliff and to run him out of town. And Jesus goes to a place called the Gerasenes, Mark's Gospel and chapter 5. And there's a person there who's public enemy number one. And he is a terror to himself and to all the community. Nobody can put adequate chains on him to restrain him. And Christ casts all these evil spirits out of him. And then he's sitting in his right mind and he's dressed and all the community comes out. And you would think that they would say to Jesus, Oh, stay. You have dealt with our worst problem. We have all the rest that we need you to deal with. What do they say? They say, Go. Depart from here. And Jesus comes to Jerusalem with the words of life. And what happens? They arrest him and they bind him. They nail him to this cross. He came to his own. He brings words of grace, works of grace. And his own received him not. Does it perplex you that people you may have worked close to for 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe more, not yet become Christians, though you've tried to bear witness to them? Think about the number of people. How many people do you think would have in some way been touched by Jesus, either heard his words or seen him at some point during his ministry over these three years, including, of course, all the crowd on Palm Sunday who marched into Jerusalem with him and were singing some songs of praise? How many of them became his followers? Relatively few. 120 on the day of Pentecost, that was all of them in Jerusalem, though of course there would have been more in other places. In John chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, we read about many, many who were following him, but when they really heard what he was saying, they turned back and wanted nothing more to do with him. Christ served and did good for many who never became his followers. 
just like David served and did good for Saul, who never came to faith or to repentance. And your experience will be the same. Your life will touch the lives of many others, some of whom will never come to faith and to repentance, but by doing them good, you have honored your Savior, whose name you bear. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, and we'll return to the message very shortly. If you tuned in late or if you ever miss any of the messages, you can always go to our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can download the current message or any of the previous messages or stream them from the website. Also on the website, you can hear Open the Bible daily. These are a series of short reflections, just two to three minutes long, with a new one appearing on the website every day. They're written by Colin Smith and read by Sue McLeish. Now back to our message, Soothe My Troubled Heart. Here's Pastor Colin. Second observation, just very briefly, is the remarkable power of the gift of music. Can't read this story without coming to this. Isn't it extraordinary? David took the lyre and he played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the harmful spirit, verse 23, departed from him. Now, music is a wonderful gift, and it has a remarkable power, and this passage of Scripture reminds us of it. Music has the power to calm and to soothe. It has the power to awaken, and it has the power to inspire. You go to any sporting event, go to any political rally, and you will always find music. Why? Because the producers of these events know its power. So let us be an encouragement to everyone who's involved in the ministry of music and to all of you who might have a heart to become involved in the ministry of music in the life of the church. David practiced on his harp, and he became a skillful musician. And God used the skill that he developed as a musician in a marvelous way. Saul, quite clearly, the Bible says, was helped by David's music, and that in turn kept a nation from unraveling in complete collapse. So the ministry of music here was absolutely huge. Music can have a stimulant effect. Music can have a sedative effect, as was the case here, which is why our thinking about music should be very careful. It's right use in the right place. All of that feeds into our thinking about worship. Now, here's what's absolutely fascinating to me, and you might have wondered if I'd get to it. Saul's problem was an evil spirit that troubled him because of his own rebellion against God. And the Bible tells us that the music helped him. I wonder if that surprises you, as when I read it at first, it surprises me. How does music interact with what the real problem is here? When David played, the Bible says Saul was refreshed and the harmful spirit departed from him. Let me give to you a quote from Matthew Henry that you can ponder as I'm continuing to ponder it because I found it so very insightful and helpful. Matthew Henry says this, Music cannot work upon the devil 
but it may shut up the passages by which he has access to the mind. Isn't that interesting? And music doesn't have any power over the devil, of course. But it may shut up, says Matthew Henry, the channels by which he has access to the mind. Well, quite clearly something like that was happening uh, here. But as we will see next time, the effect was only temporary. And that leads very briefly to my last observation, and it's simply this. The great danger of suppressing symptoms without treating the root problem. And surely that is where we're left at the end of this chapter. Here we have Saul's counselors who are to be given great credit because they correctly and spiritually diagnosed his problem. Verse 15, behold, now a harmful spirit from the Lord is tormenting you. Now, please hear me clearly in uh, these words that are very important. There are torments of mind that arise from mental illness, and when that is the case, they should be treated with the best medical help available. But with your Bible open, you can see with me here that that was not the case with Saul here in the first book of Samuel. The root of Saul's problem, correctly diagnosed by his counselors, was not a mental illness. It was, at root, his own rebellion against God. And his counselors, I say again, were to be commended for diagnosing this in his case correctly. They knew that the root of the issue for Saul was spiritual, and that what Saul was suffering arose from his own continuing resistance towards God. Now, having established that fact, here is the absolutely astonishing thing, and you should take it in and go on pondering it until it has had its effect in your soul. Having correctly diagnosed the problem, the counselors then prescribed a therapy that merely treated the symptoms without ever getting to the root problem of this man's ongoing resistance to God. They said, here's what will help you. The symptoms will be suppressed by the music. Go and call for a musician and bring him in. And they proved to be right in what they said, but they only treated the symptoms. Matthew Henry, again, so helpful. He says, how much better friends they would have been to Saul if they had advised him, since the evil spirit was from the Lord, to give all diligence to make his peace with God by a true repentance and to send rather for Samuel to pray with him and then to intercede with God for him. That way he might not only have had some relief, but the good spirit would have returned to him. So I speak in these very last moments to the person here today who has been holding out on God and you know it. You have been making a king of yourself. You have been religious, but you have not been ready to pursue repentance. And like Saul, what has been happening is that you have been becoming increasingly troubled in your own heart. And I'm asking you today, what is it that you are using to soothe your troubled heart, to suppress the symptoms? Is it sports? Is it work? 
Is it drugs? Is it drink? Is it friends? Is it pornography? Is it music? Is it simply accumulating more and more and more stuff? And there's a pain in your heart and the root of it is in your continued resistance to God and you're suppressing the symptoms. You're not dealing with the problem. And you know it. And right here in front of you with the Bible open, it could not be plainer. God is exactly describing what you're doing in your life, even this week. And he's speaking to you and he's reaching out to you in grace and in love and in mercy. And he's saying to you, it is no good just carrying on trying to suppress the symptoms. You can never resolve the problem that way. What you need to do is to deal with the root. And there's only one way for you to do that, and there is a Savior. And he stands before you today with arms of love that are stretched out to you, and he calls you to end your rebellion against Jesus Christ today, to take the crown off your head and to lay it at his feet, to embrace him as your Lord and as your master and therefore as your Savior, to turn to him in repentance, to submit your life to him, to offer yourself ready for a life of obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit who he will give to you. That addresses the root of the problem. And Christ reaches out to you today. And he sees your troubled heart. And he sees you weary of your own rebellion. And he sees you laden with the sheer weight of your own sin. And he comes to you in love with his nail-pierced hands. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your soul. No one else in all the world can say that to you. But Jesus Christ can not only say it, he can do it. And he's ready to do it today. It's good to know that when we come to Jesus, he will not turn us away. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and maybe as you listen you realize you don't know this Jesus but you feel you'd like to come to him. You can do that by simply praying and asking him to come in. We would encourage you though to talk to a trusted Christian friend or family member or to visit a local church and speak to the minister or any of the church members. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners and we want to thank you. If you'd like to set up a regular donation to Open the Bible of £5 per month or more, we would love to send you a copy of a book, You Can Trust God With Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. And Colin, I know this was written by your longtime friends Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth and Robert Walgamuth. Yes, indeed. Uh, Nancy has long been a friend of Karen and myself as her her husband, uh, Robert. And I'm absolutely delighted to be able to offer this book that they've collaborated on together. Nancy is a wonderful and insightful Bible teacher. And Robert is a wonderful writer as well. And in this collaboration, they've brought together a collection of stories from the Bible and also a collection of stories from Christian experience. And what these two together do is they draw out how God works in the lives of his children, especially 
in things we don't understand. It's a wonderfully helpful book for anyone who's saying, what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in the world? It deals with God's providence, and it reminds us that God is the one who writes the story of his children's lives. Find out more, including how to give online at openthebible.org.uk. If you've been blessed by today's message or if you have any comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at openthebible.org.uk. For Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners. For details, go to openthebible.org.uk. Perhaps sin has gained a stranglehold in your life. Discover why your compulsive behaviour is not the real problem. That's next time on Open the Bible.